Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris on today's Australian Open Round 2 Catch-Up, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. Murray pulls off a morning miracle. Nadal succumbs to Mackenzie McDonald, an injury. And number two seeds Jabir and Rude are sent packing. Kim, Chris, today is the 19th of January and we are here to catch up on round two of the Australian Open at Tennis Weekly HQ. It is, well, it is 7, 7.24 local time in the evening in the UK. And remarkably, we have only just had a couple of hours to to breathe, really, after a really, really long day of tennis that finished, what, post 4am local time in, in Melbourne, thanks to Andy Murray and Tanasi Kokinakis. And before we just get into that, I mean, I've just got to ask a question. How were your productivity levels today? I was quite distracted, I have to say. <laughs> and I realised after the match ended, I had breakfast at Andy Murray, I had lunch to Andy Murray, <laughs> and I managed to catch his match point after my last work meeting of the day. So he very much um, formed a big part of my work day today. What about you, Chris? Well, I couldn't watch that much of it, but I'm an hour ahead here in Copenhagen. So he finished about 7.30pm. And I know that we say this before, that he almost always is playing whilst we're recording. And I thought maybe he still will be on as we were recording and we'd have to bring the result to you live. So I'm just pleased we have a result and it's the result we were hoping for. <laughs> I mean, it did, it did at times, I've wondered whether it was going to hit the the all-time Australian Open record, which I think is Leighton Hewitt and Marcos Bagdatis at 4.34am. I mean, we were very, very close to that. And I mean, absolutely fair play to all of the fans that, that stayed for that. And I think, I mean, they were treated, weren't they, to an absolutely epic, epic encounter that as much as the controversy, which we're going to get into about late night finishes, which inevitably um, have come up as a result of a, a post 4am finish. I mean, the, let's talk about the performances, first of all, because it was just un- an unbelievable match, wasn't it? Yeah, I thought Murray was, um, you know, not down and out, but it just seemed so unlikely, you know, when Kokonakis was like serving for the match that... I thought he was down and out. Yeah, exactly. It seemed so unlikely that Murray would come back, mm. especially as he'd just come through five hours, you know, against Berrettini and, and kind of scraped through that one, you know, having to save the match point. So I don't know. It's just absolutely amazing. I mean, I've got no expectations for him in the next round after this and these two matches. But yeah, am I allowed to say bloody, bloody hell? That's that's all I can kind of say, really. It's incredible. I think when I saw the scoreline, I thought this is the classic case where when Murray's able to put together a fantastic win, he loses to someone who's of a lower caliber in the next round. So I thought it's all of that effort in the last round not to get through. But I mean, the way that he he said he's got a big heart, he just doesn't know when he's beaten. And I think it just shows that no matter what the score is in a tennis match, it can flip on its head if you believe that you can still do it and you keep your head up. I mean, to have that much belief with a metal hip to go two five-set matches. I mean, how many hours he spent on court? We're looking at potentially um, a record. But Carlos Alcaraz at the US Open was on court for a, an awful lot of hours. But I feel like Murray might have done enough hours to win the title already. <laughs> Compared to probably what Ash Barty spent on court last year to, to <laughs> yeah. win the title, I, I reckon he's already exceeded that, to be honest. He might have. Which is just, you know, unbelievable. It's it's interesting you talk about how you know big his heart is and you know the belief that he has given you know the experience he's had over the you know over the years he's had countless times found himself in these really difficult situations back to the wall situations those situations that that Andy Murray as a competitor 
thrives in and it's it's just fascinating to me to see someone on the other side of the net like Kokinakis who was playing great tennis first you know first three hours of match first couple of sets I was really really impressed with his level he was serving big he was confident he was aggressive but the closer it got to a potential you know him thinking oh I might I might actually win this he really did go into his shell a bit and he became more passive and for me that is what's so fascinating about these these encounters is that um you know some of these players they might be playing great tennis but to get over the line is almost a challenge in itself and Kokinakis when he found themselves in those moments unfortunately he was found he was found wanting and that is when Andy Murray is ready to really is is ready to pounce and at his best is when there's that little bit of doubt and that little bit of uncertainty that I certainly think Kokinakis found himself in particular at the deep end of that third set. Do you think it depends on when people come into kind of the peak success of their career as to how they're able to handle mm. the pressure because we've seen that people can come through like Emma Raducanu or Carlos Alcaraz when they're very young um, and get a result when there's no expectation but when you're Kokonakis and you've had so many injury setbacks I think we yeah. all thought last year he'd push forward more in these moments these are sometimes few and far between and of much more significance as you're kind of in your mid to, to late sort of 20s and it feels like Murray's very much appreciates every single moment that he has on court and he's already achieved so much. But for someone like Kokonakis, it still is a, what could they achieve and how amazing mm. he can play, but it's not necessarily um, ever kind of come to fruition in terms of that big result. So it might be harder for them. I did think, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. And, you know, the way that Kokonakis was playing actually made me almost a little bit sad that, you know, he's been robbed, I feel, of so much time on the tour mm. and on the court. Um, you know, in his, you know, earlier on in his career. But I did wonder whether because of those injuries, because of that lack of, you know, those experiences and those moments, you know, on the tour that you just inevitably build up, um, you know, once you, you know, once you make it in, in terms of your, your ranking, I did wonder like whether having the lack of those, those moments was going to count against him, mm. against someone like an Andy Murray, who's been in Grand Slam finals. Um, you know, he's played the, you know, the very best. He knows how much you have to dig deep. And I wondered if that did kind of count against him. I mean, he did play a fantastic match. I mean, he ended up hitting 102 winners and it was impressive. I think he didn't necessarily just kind of fade away. I think in that, that fifth set, he really did kind of fight to the end, but, Andy Murray just wanted it that little bit more. Yeah, I mean, Andy has a great record coming from two mm. sets down, which they referenced, you know, in his in his post match interview. But I mean, just oh, I, I said to you guys, we're, we're going to have to use Andy as our as our picture for for when we put this episode out, <laughs> and we shouldn't. We don't normally use the same. No, we're having to break all the rules, aren't we? Not Marquette of Andrusova after that upset. No, you think this Murray match is <laughs> well, slightly I more just... impressive? <laughs> We may sound biased, but I genuinely feel Andy mm. Murray has provided the most entertainment so far this tournament. He um, deserves it all. And long may it continue. Joel, he is up against Roberto Bautista mm. in the next round, who you have predicted, I think, to make the quarters. So are you confident RBA is going to get that one? Well, he, I mean, he came through five sets from, from two sets down as well. So I think, um, you know, both of them, I think, are going to be feeling it a bit. I mean, they're still both tremendous athletes again it's incredible I think to see Andy Murray get to the third round given the number of hours he's he's put on on the court this was the longest ever match of his career but yeah against RBA it's going to be a tough one I think it's just it's fascinating because I was I remember those years ago when uh, you know Murray was people thought he was going to retire and we had that really cringe retirement video in Melbourne that was after a five set loss to Roberto Batista Agut. So there's a little bit of parallels and I think context there that I think is quite funny that um who knows, maybe it'll be brought up um, you know, in in the post match afterwards. But uh I think that's gonna be a very, very tough match. But both of them and all the players really in this quarter are gonna be thinking, hey, this is a big opportunity for me to to go deep in the tournament and to think you know when we saw the draw at the beginning and we saw Andy Murray Matteo Berrettini and a lot of us were thinking mm-hmm. oh that's an awful draw yeah I can't see him getting past that well it certainly you know changed a lot I think over the you know over the course of the first week or so um in Melbourne given you know given how the other results have fallen 
Yeah, because we had the second seed, Casper Rude, you know, two-time Grand Slam finalist from last year, um, out in four sets to Jensen Brooksby, who had, has never played at this this event before. Um, you know, Rude was able to take it into a fourth set. Um, he saved a couple of match points in, in the third set, but he just wasn't wasn't able to um, overcome Jensen Brooksby. Chris, what did you make of of Casper Rude? You know, going down. I think this is with with Rafa also losing, which we'll get onto in a bit. This is, I think, the first time in basically forever that the top two male seeds are just out so early in the tournament. I mean, I hadn't really thought about it like that in terms of the top two ranked players because obviously we had this debate at the end of last season as to who really was the world number one, um, whether it was Carlos Alcaraz or whether it was Novak Djokovic. And neither of those players are kind of the two players who um, who you've just mentioned, obviously. So I hadn't necessarily clocked that that had happened at this tournament because I'm not sure that many of us, despite kind of Casper's two finals, do see him as more of a number two than say Djokovic would be. Mm. So it doesn't feel like it's as bigger loss to the tournament in that sense. And I think it's, uh, I mean, Casper's had some difficult results at times. He hasn't really put them together, but he has always put great results at the majors recently. So it's a surprise. I think they said that the balls are obviously playing very slowly and that's not really going to help Casper get the ball through the court and someone like Brooksby is very, very unconventional. So I think it's a, it's a tricky matchup. I think it, you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to play him in the second round. Um, I do think it sounds like he didn't take his chances. I didn't catch that much of the match, but uh, there were 25 breakpoint chance, chances and there were more chances for um, Brooksby, but only 13 to 12. So it sounds like it could have probably gone either way. Um, but I guess after that effort... At winning the points that matter, isn't it? It is. So, I, oh, after that yeah. effort of the third set... You know, maybe it was hard to keep that sort of level up and, and and maintain that. But all credit to Brooks because when you do have match points, it's very hard to refocus and get the job done. But it's a shame for Casper. I still wonder, I've, I've brought this up, I feel like time and time and again, but does Casper Rude lack that edge when it comes to, to Grand Slams? Um, I think we always talk about him, you know, as a nice chap, great sportsmanship on the court, you know, a real role model. But there are times I feel, particularly I think when I was watching this match anyway, I just felt, you know, he just almost was like, I don't know, resigned to defeat. You know, he's like, oh, Jensen Brooksby's playing well. I'm not sure what I can do about this. And yeah, there was a little bit of, you know, fight back in the, you know, in the in the fourth set, but sorry, in, in, in the third set. But I just wonder if Rude has that ruthlessness that I think you need when you are in these early rounds and... You know, he's obviously got to, you know, two Grand Slam finals last year, but I'm still, I feel like waiting to, like, I'd like to talk to him, talk about him mm. as like this sort of smiling assassin. I feel like he's just like smiling and is really, really nice. And I feel like he needs to develop that edge that um, that really can kind of just put away these really kind of tricky players like Brooksby who are unconventional and, you know, are, are an odd kind of proposition when, when he comes onto the court. Because the other thing I felt with this match was he was a little bit tentative kind of going forward. And I don't think Rude's net play is, is necessarily where it needs to be and Brooksby really was focusing on that that backhand side of, of Rude and um you know it was paying it was paying dividends and when you, you have an unconventional game like that and it's it's about kind of your tactics and your strategy, Brooksby certainly I think delivered on that front and um yeah he put Rude in some very awkward spots. Well, Brooksby's got Tommy Paul next um, and Rude will also be kind of lamenting possibly the fact that he, he could have ended um, as world number one, um, you know, as a result of happening what's happening in this tournament. But um, the only players that could take that mantle from Carlos Alcaraz now are, are either Novak Djokovic or Stefanos Tsitsipas uh, by winning the title. Um, I mean, just quickly mentioning Novak Djokovic, um, Bit of drama today. He lost the second set. Um, a lot of uh, sort of hoo-ha about his his leg. You know, he seemed to be in a bit of difficulty. He still had it wrapped. Um, but after losing that second set, he did classic Djokovic and annihilated uh, Enzo Cuaco, I think is how, how you say his name, um, to the rest of the match. So, you know, came through very comfortably. Was this just, you know... Classic, classic Novak Djokovic when he has a bit of, um, you know, he's up against it. He just, you know, 
pulls it all back together and you know the other the opponent's a bit like okay right that was my one and only moment (laughs) yeah we've seen it before haven't we we've seen this against multiple sort of players where you almost feel like it's not so much about the being physically hampered it's almost the Djokovic has a an arc to his matches you know it's almost like this will make it a bit more interesting when they write about it or when I win the title they'll look back at that match and think wow the way he came through that and I I genuinely I mean I I don't think that he necessarily is faking an injury but I do think at times uh he might have played up to it a little bit uh, made it seem a little bit more serious than it might have been well I don't I don't know about that because six two six love after hmm his interview afterwards with Barbara Shett, it was, it was, the tone was pretty, you know, it was pretty down. It was like, you know, to be honest, I'm not sure how my leg is um, at the moment. And I don't know, again, if that's a bit of kidology in, in terms of the locker room and, and mm. making them think, oh, he's a you know wounded animal and trying to create some sort of you know men- mental edge there. But I certainly looked at it like, yes, he, he got through that match, but... I'm like, even though, you know, Nadal's out, Rude's out, there's opportunities here. I still think, you know, we've got a long, long, long way to go. And, you know, I think he said it's going to be have to be obviously a match at a time. And, you know, regardless of how well I think you could play, if you've only got one leg, even if you're Novak Djokovic, it's going to be very, very hard to um, potentially, you know, win the, win the Australian Open. I mean, another player who we had high hopes for, or you certainly did, Joel, was, was Taylor Fritz. Yes, Joel. And, um... <laughs> I'd love to play oh, insert can clip. I, sorry, can I just say at this point, I did say on the preview show that I wasn't convinced by Casper Rude. So I... Does I, that make it I all have right? Got, that I've got, got credit in the bank. Wrong. I have got credit in the bank. <laughs> well, Fritz went out in five sets to Alexi Popperin uh, of Australia, uh, which is probably Popperin's sort of biggest win of his career. Um Taylor Fritz, incidentally, has a better record, um, this is on hardcore anyway, against top 10 players than he does uh, players ranked outside the top 100, uh, which I think Popperin is at the moment because he's sort of coming back from from injury. He has been higher before. But yeah, I mean, oh, that's, you, you know, you, you can't, it's a great record to have against top tenners, but to win a slam, you, you, you have to beat everyone regardless of their ranking. So um, Joel... What do you think, Taylor Fritz? You know, this is his second disappointing Grand Slam loss in a row now. Um, what do you think he needs to change up, like for for the next Slam? Yes, yeah, it's, it's surprising because I thought he was in very good form coming in, and yeah, maybe there's a bit of um, underestimation of of players in the in the earlier rounds that, although he has this sort of champions mentality, and I think he plays very very well we see that in in the results um and in the performances against the the top players maybe he needs to have a little bit of a different mindset for you know when he is the target mm. and against Popperin, it felt like yeah at times it, it was just it was just too much for him so perhaps he needs to change his mindset when he comes up and he's like you know the man with the target on his back and you know players are looking for the upset cuz you know Popperin is a, a very tricky very tricky player yeah, to play against. I remember watching him, I think, against Cam Norrie um, in the US Open um, in like an, in an earlier round, maybe last year or the year before. But um, yeah, that, that's sort of what I would say. But I mean, regardless of, of Fritz not doing that well, I mean, the Americans have generally done pretty impressively, particularly in that, that bottom half. Yeah, Michael Moe also mm. winning through. He's ranked 107 in the Lucky world. Lucky loser, Michael Moe as well. He had his, uh, he had his flight booked home. Um, he said in his, his post-match interview he was going to go home uh, on, tu- on I think on Tuesday. Um, so it just shows I think how much how much can change in the world I of hope tennis. The prize and... money pays for his new ticket. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he'd be upgrading do? to what business, business class? class? Yeah, why not? Treat yourself. <laughs> yeah. Third round of the AO, he beat Sasha Zverev in, in four sets. Uh, again, probably his biggest win of of his career. So it does mean at the bottom quarter of the draw. There are no top 20 players um, and we basically will have, I think, one of the following men making the Australian Open semi-final. Uh, Popperin, Ben Shelton, JJ Wolf, Michael Moe. Uh, three of those are American, aren't they? Uh, Andy Murray, Roberto Bautista-Ragut, Tommy Paul or Jensen Brooksby. Mm. So what, five Americans? 
out of eight. So it's a high chance that an American is going to make the Australian Open semi-final. What an opportunity. Who do you think is going to be last American standing from that quarter? Last American standing? Uh, Paul or Brooksby? I think Paul will probably. Okay. I also think that Ben Shelton, I think. You know, when when you see a draw open up like this, I think that could be an interesting one for one of the younger players. But it's, I mean, it, what, I mean, it's one of those draws you dream about. And it's just a shame that Murray has been made to play so long to get to this stage. Otherwise, you'd think that he has a great chance, even if you look at the rankings, he's got a great chance, let alone his previous form yeah. um, in Australia. So it could be anyone's. Yeah, I feel like if Andy hadn't had such long matches. Or late finishes. Well, oh, it messes yeah. your schedule up so much, doesn't it? But, but then RBA is very consistent and very um, That was Joel's pick, wasn't it, for this section? So I wouldn't put it past him, <laughs> to be quite honest with you. And, you know, the main Spaniard is out, so there's got to be one, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just on that topic of late finishes, you know, we, we just, you know, have waxed lyrical about the, the Andy Murray uh, miracle in the early morning. I mean, it did finish past 4am and not, everyone was obviously kind of happy with that i mean i was i was fine with it i love i'm not gonna lie i love the the atmosphere the uniqueness of playing at such a a time as a spectator i know players probably absolutely hate it and it looks a bit ridiculous i thought it was interesting jamie murray um andy murray's brother came out on twitter and said time for tennis to move to only one match at night sessions at Grand Slams, this is the best outcome for all singles players. We can't continue to have players compete into the wee hours of the morning. Rubbish for everyone involved, players, fans, event staff. Where do you stand on 4am finishes and all, all of this stuff? Because it does surprise me a little bit that the Australian Open doesn't have a cutoff time. For me, I think it's, I agree with that, um, with Jamie Murray. I think it is ridiculous. I think the only people that benefit are people in other countries watching at home. During um, their working day. Therefore, <laughs> you know, TV networks, sponsors, <laughs> all of that. You know, it helps other time zones. But, you know, and I have been at the Australian Open until about 3am and it was a great atmosphere. Mm. But if you were doing that every day and I, you know, if you had to get up the next morning and actually play a match or work, I just, it's not great. I, I, I don't know. Chris, you may completely disagree, but that's my stance. No, I completely agree. It's something that I, I think about a lot when you're watching these matches. It's, it seems so unnecessary to have matches on court at that time when the whole nature of the sport is that your physical conditioning and uh, the, the minutiae of your preparation, everything is thought about what you eat, what you drink, how your training is, when you train, but then your sleep schedule is being completely dictated by the tournament and by um, the the sponsors or having longer hours of the tournament, more more airtime, more ad space. And I just think it seems ridiculous that you would have to finish at 4am and then try and figure out a way to sleep to then still try and figure out a way to try and play in conditions that you might be playing in again, such as there's a big difference between a night match with a roof closed versus a day match where the extreme heat rule might be in. And it feels like once you get put into those night matches and they run long, you can't put Andy Murray on in the morning session. So you get into these cycles where you only play in one condition and then it could be switched up. And it's, that, it's just something that players don't need to contend with on top of bringing out the best in their game and, and putting in a great show. I think it's, um, it's way beyond the point that something needs to change. But I'm not sure that one match at night sessions mm. or start them earlier and, and call them the evening session because um, it doesn't have to be dead of the night um for people to enjoy tennis yeah that's that's an interesting point actually whether we should be transforming the idea of a night session into an evening session and starting earlier because yeah i'm i'm not sure about the one match spectacle i know was it roland garros um have brought that in to help i guess sell more tickets and you know even i what in the in the build-up you know we saw with the practice matches you know that sort of one match feel with the you know the nick kiros versus novak Djokovic show but I don't know. I, I still would like to see two matches there, but yeah, maybe start a bit earlier. Yeah, I think I think one is a bit. I don't, I don't think that necessarily solves the problem. Um, it's, it is very difficult because the day session often overruns, and I just think um, maybe start the day session. Maybe just start everything earlier. But yeah, this is. <laughs> it's. I think we're going to need a bit of trialing and testing for that, perhaps. It feels avoidable. It does feel avoidable. I would say just the final thing because we did talk yeah. to. Um, a tournament director 
as one of the episodes of the podcast from uh, the Billie Jean King Cup. And that was one where it, her hands were completely tied um, and you weren't able to start earlier. Um, they started an hour earlier than they had done previously. But because mm. there are so many ties and ties can go very long, they didn't have a choice. But it feel, you feel like in the scheduling of a Grand Slam, almost every single day this week, it's gone to kind of a little bit of an obscene hour. Obviously, four or five was very, very extreme. Um, but I'm surprised we don't hear more noise from the singles players because obviously this doesn't really affect Jamie Murray um, unless he wanted to, I don't know, be more productive in the office today. But <laughs> it did seem like um, not enough players are actually saying that this isn't good for them. I think um, it'd be interesting to see if there's a bit more of a movement about that after this sort of finish. Will the PTPA uh, maybe <laughs> yes. do something about it? <laughs> um, let's have a look at the women's results from today. Um Top of the list is, of course, Caroline Garcia producing uh, a victory to to make her way into the third round. Very close encounter, though. 7-6-7-5 over Leila Fernandez. Um, Yeah, Chris, what did you make of this? I think Caroline Garcia, she was four love down in that first set tie break, um, came through to win. But I think think a lot of people felt that really it was Fernandez's to, to lose and she should have perhaps... Um, taking her chances a bit better. Yeah, I mean, Garcia said that she felt like uh, she described it as a bit of a robbery on her side that first set because she was down so much and Leila was winning um, her service games so easily um, that it felt like she wasn't able to find her rhythm. But again, it's one of those things that uh, I always think if you can win these matches where potentially you weren't serving at your best or you weren't returning at your best, but then in the tie break, you're able to to perform. We've seen some of the great players um, do it on a regular basis, you know, where you might be playing against a big server. Obviously, I'm not saying Leila Fernandez is a particularly big server, but they almost do steal these sets. And it's just because of the fact that they are kind of the, the number four seed in this case or um, higher. And so I think it's a great sign that against someone as difficult and sort of tricky to play, um, as Layla, that she's able to to tough that one out because we all know that Layla's a great fighter and she doesn't she's not a choker so she really does fight for every ball especially at Grand Slam so again great positive signs for Garcia uh, and I can see her going really far in the tournament because imagine if she's playing well the damage that she could do well let's hope so I mean Bencic, Sabalenka, they're both through as well today. Uh, straight sets wins. Bencic had a bit of a tough uh, first set against Claire. Lou had to come back from 5-2 down. Um, but one top seed who isn't uh, making it into the third round is Jabor, second seed. She lost to Marketa von Drusova. Um, so, phew, I mean, we weren't really... Um, glorifying on Jabal's chances I reckon you know in our preview episode and I, and I guess this is, this is why and, and Von Dries a former Grand Slam finalist a couple of years back at the French Open um, on her day she she has the potential to, to knock out the big names Joel what did you make of, of this of this match and, and Jabal's performance yeah I mean it was sort of similar story to I think round one she, I think in round one she hit like 50 odd uh, unforced errors and again in this match I think she hit around about 50 unforced errors she was just very very loose and erratic I think there was talk also of a knee injury hindering her movement and I think when you come up against someone of of Von Drusova's quality yes she is unseeded but we've got to remember this is a player who has been off the tour for extended periods of time she's been a Grand Slam finest as you said at the French Open so a very very tricky customer and you know she came back onto the tour at the end of last season me and Chris saw her at the Billie Jean King Cup uh, defeat Danielle Collins I mean she's a on her day she is an absolute handful for for anyone and it's actually nice, I think, to see her back and, and claim these these big victories because I think she's become a little bit forgotten about the fact that, you know, she you know has is a former Grand Slam finalist. And um, yeah, on Zubor, she, although was able to kind of wrestle that, that second set, Von Drusova just kind of, yeah, just sort of steamrolled in, in, in the final set. And um, yeah, I'll be unfortunate for Zubor, but I think this is a great, opportunity for von drusova to kind of almost i think re-announce herself um you know in 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 grand slams and it's great to see given as i said the the injury layoffs that she has had ever since i feel she reached that french open final those years ago 
Yeah, exactly. So it's nice to see her kind of make perhaps coming through in, in a slam draw mm. again. Um, you know, um, the other seeds that went out, Kuda Metafer, who we had all put in our quarterfinals, <laughs> she, she's gone. Oh, uh, <laughs> Annette Contivates out, Ludmilla Samsonova. She went out to Donna Vekic uh, for the loss of three games. Wow. I've put Samsonova to win Wimbledon. She better up her game <laughs> for that. Um, but we did have a win for Linda Frivertova. Mm. Hurrah. Um, and also Carolina Pliskova is through. So um, I have to say, before we go to the second um, half, one, I don't know, entity that, that perhaps won't be so happy with how results have gone so far this tournament is, is Netflix and their production <laughs> company. Because a lot of people saying on Twitter that most of the players featured in the Breakpoint documentary on Netflix um, either didn't play the Australian Open due to injury or are already out in the first or second round. So the likes of Tomljanovic, Berdossa, Kyrgios, Berrettini, Rude and Fritz, they have all gone. Um, we do still have FAA and TFO, however. So, Does this mean the Netflix breakpoint curse is a thing? How can it not be? Well, it seems to be so. Which is not great for like new fans who maybe want to follow these players and they're like, where are they? I thought they were that good. They're supposed to be like getting to finals and um, yeah, perhaps not ideal for, for kind of creating a new cohort of, of followers. But then this is the reality. It, it is very up and down. Um, it's not like other sports. Has it added to the pressure, do you think, Kim? Well, the maybe. They've got new, new following. Yeah, their social medias might be going mad. It is interesting because unlike Formula One, where those drivers are in qualifying, you see them in practice, and they're always going to be in the in the main event, in the main race on the on the Sunday in tennis. It's a completely different idea. It's you know, particularly in Grand Slams, these players. It's like if 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 they go out in round one, you know, they can be in hibernation for for two weeks off the tour. So, yeah, it's interesting how maybe there is a little bit of added pressure there. Yeah. Well, let's take a quick break now, but do join us in the second half where we'll be taking a look at all the action from day three of the Australian Open. So do not go anywhere. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome back to the Australian Open Round 2 catch-up sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And let's look back at the day three events. So um, cast your minds back. It seems such Do a long time ago. Do you want to cast ago. your mind back, Kim? I think this is could be the, the tricky question. Well, yeah, well, do I? Yeah, I woke up and I saw that Rafa had lost in straight sets to Mackenzie McDonald, which is not a normal result. Um, and I, I don't want to sort of give excuses, but when I saw that scoreline, I thought, hang on a minute, he must be injured because you wouldn't normally expect him to go out in straights to, you know, or however good Mackenzie McDonald is. Not um, great. Just, that's <laughs> not a typical Nadal uh, scoreline. Uh, this is his earliest defeat at the AO since 2016. Um, and yeah, hip, a hip injury this time round. He's had a scan. I think he's out for about six to eight weeks um, and just never looked comfortable on, on court really even before the, the hip sort of seemed to be an issue um so yeah very very sad scenes for, for Rafa fans do you think that's the last of, we've seen of him in Melbourne because they you know he did wave to all sides of the the stadium and he didn't want to obviously retire Are you, do you think do you think that's it 
I hope not. I mean, Rafa loves playing tennis. He loves fighting and, and playing and, and he will do that, I think, until it's it's sort of really unfeasible for him not to. Um, so whether that decision is made before the start of, of next year, who knows? But I, I mean, I, I'd obviously love to see him back down under in Australia competing again. And we've seen him come back so many times before from similar situations. So I, I'm not going to write him off yet. No way. It's a tricky one, isn't it, though, in terms of whether he will be there again? Because I have this theory, and obviously, when you choose to have a baby... Is this Sasha Zverev's theory? Because I think he came out the other day, and he yes. thinks Nadal is retiring after the French Open. It's the child's fault, do you think? Is that what you're saying? You know, we've seen like Murray and Djokovic, and they all kind of have kids relatively young. Um and I think potentially... And Federer. Yeah, and Federer, potentially he, he postponed it so that he could make sure that he wouldn't have to kind of um, take necessarily his child on tour with him like forever in that sort of way. I think I feel like it's wanting to settle down at some point. So that's the theory. I think the French Open retirement theory isn't particularly um, unlikely. Um, I do think that Sasha, uh, his comments don't particularly help because... If he has had a conversation with with Rafa, which I'm sure he probably hasn't, um, speculate about retirement isn't really good practice on the tour, is it? You know, it doesn't, no one's going to be pleased that you brought that one up in a press it's conference. The, it's not a way to adhere yourself to fans, is it? No. No, I mean, well, retirement, you know, Andy Murray videos of prophecies. <laughs> and uh, I just, Let's not go there because we no might eat our words. We should never do Sash predictions. <laughs> might eat his words um but, but let's look you know let's look at more positive news for, from day three uh Cameron Norrie went through um, um also we forgot to say Dan Evans went through uh, so we do have three British men in the third round which is fantastic um Sits passes through Medvedev Yannick Sinner Francis Tiafo um so no no surprises there um and uh, FAA also through had to go five though so again not not um not doing it with ease at the moment is, is Felix, but uh still there and that's that's the main thing. Um and Medvedev through through comfortably. Um so yeah, we've we've obviously got Mackenzie McDonald through as as a result of that win over over Rafa. I was just a bit annoyed that uh Brandon Nakashima hadn't taken out Mackenzie McDonald in the first <laughs> round and that he couldn't have, you know, been the the sort of beneficiary of Rafa. Well, I mean, it has opened up for Yoshihito Nishioka, who hasn't dropped a set yet, um, who I think In is two facing. Matches. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Um, faces Mackenzie McDonald um, tomorrow. I mean, just just guys, just on on Nadal's uh, defeat. Who do you think this benefits the most in in terms of the draw? Does it benefit? Djokovic or do you think it benefits someone else like a you know Daniel Medvedev or a, or a Stefanos Tsitsipas who again has been looking very very comfortable I think in the in the early rounds so far yeah for me I think it's looking like a Tsitsipas um Tsitsipas or Medvedev final versus Djokovic at the moment as things stand um and I think Tsitsipas maybe over Medvedev actually Ooh. which is what I predicted so well, Go me. I mean, she's you're backing yourself again now. I think um, <laughs> I'm bold words. I don't back anything I predict. I think this is a a great chance for someone like TFO to, after kind of he's obviously had that breakthrough right at the very end of last season, uh, and he finds himself as the 16th seed. He's come through quite nicely uh, in the last round um, and very vibrantly in his outfit. Uh, but I think this creates a great opportunity for him to back up his semi-final with a quarter-final um, and then see if he is able to be competing with some of these top 10 players um, and make that leap. So I, I think that will be particularly interesting to I, see. I do think Tiafo has the most has the most to gain, I think, from you know the Nadal defeat, um, you know, given where he is in the in the draw. And I just think that, you know, the freedom and the... The fun that he's playing with um, in his game he's at the moment, to be I out think, there, he, isn't he? Yeah, he. Just, Do you mean the fun, the fun shirt, Joel? Or yeah, the fun, the fun shirt. But he's a fun. fun. He's a fun guy as well. I think he's one of those players that, when he enjoys, you know, himself and he enjoys his tennis on the court, that's when his performances are at his best. And I don't think we could should be taking him lightly. Lightly, um, you know, I think he's got Karen Kachinov next, and I think they're both. I think to me, quite they like to entertain their crowd pleasers on the court and it could be 
you know, quite an interesting battle. But um, yeah, for, for TFO, um, I think he's got quite a lot to gain potentially from this this Nadal defeat and carry on that momentum that um, you know he, he showed at, at the US Open last year. Yeah, and looking back at one of the other main sort of matches from day three, it was that Coco Goff versus Emma Raducanu match, which again I was having a bit of sort of brunch to it to this. And Chris, are you annoyed this quite... didn't go three sets at the very least? <laughs> I mean, I said it was going to be straight sets Raducanu, and it really should have been. I was watching quite a lot of this. Um, I'm sorry to my employer uh, for that. <laughs> I was pretty much focused on this at, at the time at the start of my working day, but. The number of unforced errors in this match was unbelievable. And the number of missed opportunities, I, I just found it very frustrating because you get the glimmers of what they can do. But at the same time, it was the opposite of clean tennis. And yes, the future of tennis does look good. Um, but I mean, 17 uh, winners for Raducanu and 42 unforced errors, 13 winners for Goff and 41 unforced errors. I mean, it's few and far between these quality points. And wasn't I get pretty. that it wasn't yeah. pretty that they're defending well. Um, I think Raducanu had set points. She had opportunities. She had break points. And I think she's just not very, um, not very kind of uh, as, well, not well, more She's rusty. still a bit tentative, I think, in those, in those moments. She doesn't, she doesn't take it on in the way that she did, obviously, in that US Open run. Yeah. When, as I said, when, when she was playing kind of, carefree and, and maybe with no expectation and no pressure like that US Open run when everyone is sort of just sort of getting used to who exactly is this is this person who's just jumped onto the scene maybe yeah that tentativeness has come in a bit more now that she is you know more more established but mm. you know Coco Goff I still think is yeah she's a very tough customer and she she did play very very well her defense um, Joel was something else I've, I don't think I've seen anyone return um, that well it was almost Djokovic like some of the positions she was getting herself into and uh, some of the balls she was getting back in I understand much more Raducanu's error count because Coco Goff's defence was some, was honestly unbelievable I mean shots that would be winners against other players um, Coco was getting multiple of them back in, in, a, in a point but the, the big question I have for both of you is Coco Goff's forehand is that the reason that she won't win a slam? Ooh that's a bold statement Chris isn't it? It just can't, I feel like you can't yeah. you can't win grand slams. You can't win grand slams on defense alone. And no. when you're no. trying to be aggressive, and I think sometimes, yeah, with Coco Goff, that forehand does go it does go missing, and it's obviously such a crucial shot that yeah, it's it's it does beg the question. But I mean, the fact that she's got into the top ten with it is still well. She's got a great serve and a great backhand. It's almost like Berrettini in the sense that his backhand is his big weakness and he's obviously been a top 10 player with a great serve as well so for me I just think there's so much potential there and I just think that she's at the age where she still can, is able to make some technical changes um, and I was kind of hoping to see a bit more of that in the off season but again she got the win so maybe I've been too harsh and as you say she has got to a final but it's such a glaring area of improvement for someone who has such a fantastic game already and um, I mean just looking at other results we've got we had Igor Sviontek go through, uh, Jesse Pagula through. Um, uh, Chris, we were thinking about potential Igor versus Bianca oh. third round. That, <laughs> that is not happening because Bianca Andreescu lost to Christina Buxer um, of, of yeah, Spain. What was going on there? <laughs> what did you make of that? She seemed so promising in, in her first round. I know. Bianca did. It was, um, Chris put the mockers on it. Oh, I definitely... I I do take full responsibility for that loss, Bianca. But um, <laughs> she got so close again, so close in that tiebreak to closing it out. And I saw some of the reaction from um, some of tennis Twitter that said that when Bianca's on, she is she's very very on, and she's got the game. But then she does just go off the boil, and it's almost unexplainable. So that is a big shame. But based on the performance in that round, I'm not sure she'd be getting past Eager, because um, Eager really did play a lot better. Uh, I didn't catch too much of that, but from what I did see, absolutely outclassed yeah, she her cut opponent. The, she cut the error count down. Her forehand, yes, there were times when it was still looking a, bit, a little bit iffy, but yeah, generally a better a better performance. But I would also say that Camilla Osorio on a on a hard court, not as I think competitive as as Yul Yul Niemeyer gave her in terms of a test in that in that opening encounter. 
Yeah. I mean, one of the mo- moments of my of of my day, of, of everyone's <laughs> day, of many people's day, was the Danielle Collins uh, victory early, earlier than... Earlier than should be victory moment against Carolina Mikova. I mean, this was a great match. You know, it was three sets, last set tie break. Um, clearly, Danielle Collins, I don't think, had ever played a last set tie break. Um, she didn't realize it had to, it was first to 10 points. So she celebrated uh, once she, when she'd got to seven. Um, but it was all quite entertaining um, in the end and provided some, yeah. I thought the Grand Slams had sorted this out. We had got some consistency in relation to the final set and, and what happens but maybe danielle collins didn't get the memo maybe so um but yeah it's a good job she went on to actually win oh, because yeah. I know. You know, that would have been awkward that would have been really the lesson, embarrassing and awkward. the lesson here is no matter who you're playing do not celebrate too much because it might end up on twitter it might end up making the rounds <laughs> be making sure rounds, until you've shake, yeah, celebrate after you've shaken hands that's the one my quarterfinal prediction for Mukova is no more uh, as a result. But um, one one seed that, that did go out, Petra Kvitova, she's, she's gone. Uh, she lost to Kalanina. But Sakari's through, um, as we said earlier. Yeah, not an awful... Not, they were the main things, I say, from day three. I think, you know, the second round has just been, I think, kind of overshadowed by this Andy Murray match, which was just um, one for the ages. It's absolutely fantastic. So... Um, that's round two wrapped up. Um, we've got round three to look forward to, which will be kicking off in the not too distant future. Um, let's look at day five and who's out on court. A um, couple of really eye-catching affairs, I think, uh, for me. Um, Joel, pick, 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 pick us, pick out your favourites for us. Where are you going to be tuning into tomorrow? Well, I think. It's the night session on, on Rod Laver, a surprise, surprise. Madison Keys, Victoria Azarenka, both players, I think, playing quite well uh, in this tournament. Although we didn't really, I feel, have that many upsets in kind of round two in the in the ladies' competition. I really think this could be a, a really entertaining match um, to kick us off, um, yeah, tom- maybe tomorrow night. Um, so that's that's sort of where my eyes are at. And then... Yeah, you've got Korda Medvedev. I'm still worried about men's matches following women's matches on night sessions, given what's just happened to, you know, the Andy Murray match against Kokonakis. But uh, again, that should be uh, quite a feast, I think, for, um, yeah, for the spectators on uh, on Rod Laver. Chris, where where are you going? Um, Who have you got your eyes on? I think I might be now on... Now that Bianca's mm, not going to be in action. Yes, I might be or on... Or Sloane. Or Sloane, yes. I thought we could get through the podcast without mentioning that Sloane did go out <laughs> on day three in her round one match. Yes. Um, but I'll be probably... Maybe I'll be on John Kane Arena watching a bit of Storm Hunter and Elise Mertens in the doubles. Oh, okay. Against Kudometeva and Samsonova. But um, if it's singles you're asking about, Kim, I think Pagula versus Kostuk could be particularly interesting because... Marta's shown some very good form at the start of this year. So I think mm. that might be trickier than it looks on paper. Um, is Krachikova just going to go through this competition just not being spoken about? I think I think we'll know in terms of, yeah, she's first on against Kalanina, who obviously was the, the I haven't even of spotted the her name, though. I'd completely overlooked it. Yeah, that could mm. be... Um, exactly. We're all, we're all over here. Story of her life. Story of her <laughs> tennis life, really. But overlook her to your peril. That's what I say. Um, also, Yannick Sinner kind of quietly going through the draw as well. Mm. Um, but yes, I think some interesting matchups. Rebecca Collins, I think, uh, could be quite interesting as well. And I'm hoping Cam Norrie will uh, make it through to the fourth round. Mm. He was having some troubles against Col- Constant Lestien uh, in the second round at, at times and avoided going yeah. two sets to one down, which, which was good. Kim, I'm not gonna lie. I was worried whether we were gonna have a new person throw their their beret into the ring for <laughs> French French male number one. Yeah, I did sort of think that as well. I thought, ah, oh, it's going to be Lestian, isn't it? Um, <laughs> he's heard our chats, and he well, he mm. wants a part of it. I mean, we've done um, the Brits have done quite well against the the French this week because obviously Shardy um, was defeated by Dan, Dan Evans, Dan Evans yeah. uh, today as well. And there was a bit of hoo-ha in that match about um, Alette, I think. Mm, um, Shardy just lost it, didn't he? Yeah, and he wanted a new umpire or, or <laughs> what have you. So, 
Yes, um, lots going on. And yeah, ben- Benjamin Bonzi uh, beating mm, PCB. The live ranking so, French number one. So that's your yeah. update. From- we should just, we should just make a, oh. another podcast devoted to just, just specifically the French men's number one ranking. It's just so much change. It's really, I mean, really there's so many, so many players, so many contenders. And great names to say. It could say. be a new segment, new quiz segment. Guess who it is on every week of could the podcast. Could it be Arthur Rindeneck or Ugo Umber? I just don't know. It could be. It really could be. <laughs> it's uh, it's anyone's game, isn't it, really? How exciting. Um, but yes, we'll be back uh, to discuss the third round uh, over the weekend. So we do hope you can all join us then. Yes, listeners, I hope you have enjoyed our latest episode of the Tennis Weekly podcast, our round two catch up of the Australian Open. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action to come from Melbourne. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media or email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Tennis Weekly Pod. You can email us on tennisweeklypod at gmail.com or check out our website www.tennisweekly.co.uk. And we will be back over the weekend for our round three round by round catch up. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.